Thank you for listening to the Maranatha Fellowship Podcast. We hope this message will inspire, challenge, and encourage you to grow closer to Christ. If you're in the Anchorage area, we invite you to be our guest during our morning Sunday worship service at 11 a.m. For directions, or if you would like more information about us, please visit akmaranatha.com. Well, I want to just um, echo that, that there's a lot that happened, and I'm a slow processor. It takes me a while to catch on. Anybody else like that? And so really figuring out what God has done and um, appropriating that to our lives sometimes takes a little bit of time to, to work through that. And I read somewhere that that even happens while we sleep. Did you know that? There's a book that uh, talks about how we learn by Benedict Carey, and he says that we, we even learn while we're sleeping. Our mind is at work dealing with things, and so those crazy dreams, right? Um, really glad. Um, Evelyn wanted to exhort everyone to save 100 or $200 a month to go on the next mission trip. And so hear that from the Lord, weigh it, and receive it if it's for you, all right? <laughs> Get ready, all right? And she's going to be going too, right? <laughs> she can't take the heat. I'm not sure I could take the heat either. All right, uh, Matthew 28. I wanted to mention this as we uh, think about what we have in Christ. Redemption reads like a story, a story that happens to be true. Some uh, C.S. Lewis calls it the one myth that happens to be true. Okay, so... Uh, both Chesterton and Lewis, they saw it. It's the story of a king whose subjects have rebelled and, and set up a rival kingdom against him. Um, the king has the power to destroy them all, all the re- rebel subjects. We're talking about ourselves here. But the king is good, and instead of destroying all of these rebels like you and me, he decides to take the way of love, and he extends the olive branch and he sends his son to them to woo them back to him. And they kill his son, but he raises him from the dead and continues the pursuit of love for you and me and invites us into relationship with himself. And that's, that's a picture of what the kingdom of God is like. I got a sense of uh, how big this story is and how old it is. Um, I used to think of it in like the small case of my own personal rebellion. When you think about the gospel, don't we as Americans often think about how it just applies to us? And we, we're thinking on very personal levels. Anytime you hear a command, we think of it in the first person singular, like that command is for you. But oftentimes in scripture, what we need to understand is that uh, the, the pronouns that are used there, like you, is oftentimes plural. It's appealing to uh, a broad swath of people, the all who will turn to him. And so I thought of this story all through growing up in the church, and I knew it was true of everyone, but this is kind of vague to my mind until uh, you go to a faraway place and you see faces that are unfamiliar to you, and they live in, um, in circumstances that are very unfamiliar. And so this truth is something like something you know, but then a certain situation causes it to sink in. You know what I'm, you know what I mean? Like the, the message that the gospel is so big. I know that, but when you get into a faraway place and you see different faces and you realize where you are and you realize the gospel 
is not only for me, it's for them too. You know, I know that. But there's, there's moments that that can really begin to sink in with all of its weight. You, you know what I'm talking about? Those moments like that, like when you graduate from high school or you retire, I imagine you retire from your job and you wake up on a morning that you normally would be going to work and all of a sudden, like you've known that that's coming, but all of a sudden you realize, I never have to go back to that place again. You know, that kind of realization. And so something brings it about, the realization that you have in your head, but it, it needs to sink deep into your heart. And so it, it kind of happened to me again, this re realization of how broad and big the story of redemption is. You know, um, the redemption is, redemption is big enough. And by redemption, I'm talking about all that God has done to save us and all that he will continue to do until he brings, he consumes all things in himself. You know what I mean? That he brings all things to their, their proper conclusion. This is redemption. And it's big enough to include all of us. And it's old enough. This story is old enough that the rebellion is evident in every place that you go. Like Peru. How long did it take for people to get there? You ever think about that? Like, I don't know how you imagine this, but I've always heard that there was kind of a land bridge that came through Alaska and that people traveled from the east down through that all the way down to the tip of South America. Anybody else have that theory or heard that theory before? And if that's the case, how long did it take for all of that to happen? And uh, if that's the case as well. We realize that this story is old and this rebellion is old. And God has set about saving people in a way that reaches them where they are. It's older than my sin. And so I had this renewed realization when I was there in Peru speaking to people through a Spanish translator who translated to uh, a Shawi translator who translated it. And I, I kept forgetting to pause long enough to let both translators take what I said and communicate it. But it was interesting how you communicate it in English, it's communicated into Spanish, and then into a local native dialect. And it's, it's wonderful and it's odd to think that God could communicate in such ways. And I'm reminded that the Holy Spirit is a master communicator. He knows how to get the message across, thankfully, even when we can't. See, we're all brothers, as Joe said, and sisters from one common ancestor. And we're all rebels, and we all need to be restored to the king. Every race and culture and language needs to be restored to God. And our differences and suspicions can be explained by the fall and partly by the Babel, the Tower of Babel, right? That we are so different in so many ways, but responsibility starts with us. We first have to respond to the king and then come into his kingdom, but it never should end with us. When you've been redeemed, you're a link in the chain to reaching somebody else. Come on, are you with me on that? That what? How ungrateful would we be if we said, oh, thank you, Jesus. I'm just going to take that and keep it to myself. Instead of sharing that and passing it along and using our circle of influence and broadening our circle of influence and going out to different places and living it at home. Uh, If we don't do that, we've missed something in the gospel. Matthew is the gospel of the king. Did you know that? That it's the gospel of the king. It starts with genealogy. Like, if you're going to know who Jesus is, you need to know he comes from a kingly genealogy. He is who he said he is. He's a king. 
And all through the, the gospel of Matthew, the theme is that this is the kingdom, the, that God is, is coming to bring people back into the kingdom, and he sent the king into the world. And so it's no surprise that it should end like it does in 28 with a call from the king to go and bring people into his kingdom, teaching them to live like subjects of the king. Let's put our verse up there. It's, it's one that you'll all know, verses 18 through 20 of Matthew 28. It says, Then Jesus came to them, then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Let me mention three points this morning that I think are very important. And you'll probably notice, I'll bring this up again in just a moment, but it spells, if you take the first letter of each, it spells the word amp. Okay, so that's just a good mnemonic device for what we're dealing with here. And every time you come back to Matthew 28, you're going to see the same verses. And so it will always apply if we can... Uh, cling to these, this little mnemonic device will always remember what's here. And the first one is authority. So if we could go to uh, the word authority there. In verse 18, Jesus came and he said to them, and the way this actually says it, if you have the NASB, you'll see it there, that he, he came and spoke to them saying, there's this, there's this redundant phrase that happens, like why do you need to say he said and said? That's a way of emphasizing the importance of what Jesus is saying, that he came to them, speaking to them, and said. It's a very Jewish way of emphasizing the importance of what's going to be said next. And what's said next is that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus has all authority. Did you know that? He has all authority. Come on, true? He has all authority. Do you realize how audacious this statement is. Have you thought about that? I, I was thinking about that as I was writing this message. Jesus is claiming to be the authority over all people everywhere. That's audacity. If, if, and even if it's true, it's very audacious to say that. And he can say that because he is. He's even the authority over the greatest people that have ever lived. And he's the authority over every other authority. That's why we call him the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Is that of all the kings, gather them together and all their greatness. And Jesus is ruler over even them. Do you realize it's audacious because Jesus is expecting people everywhere, everywhere to stop living rebellious lives and to start living in obedience to him. That's his expectation. That comes from this passage is that Jesus expects people to turn from their old ways and to come into obedience with him. We read, and, and we will read in just a moment more about this, but he says that we're to make disciples and teach everyone to obey everything he's commanded. That means that we stop living the way that we once lived, and for many, repentance has fallen out of the gospel. Why? How can we really come to him and acknowledge him as king if we don't repent of our rebellion? See, it's, it's nice to, to, to describe the gospel as asking Jesus into our heart. And that's part of it. But the other part of it is, is that we have to stop being rebels and start being disciples. That's the call that God has for us. But that's audacious that Jesus would say that. And, 
in our postmodern me-centered tendencies, it's a little offensive to hear Jesus say that we, we should have to obey him. But that's the gospel, folks. And if you've come to know Jesus, you know how wonderful it is to live by his leadership rather than your own. How many have found that when you live by your own leadership, it leads to bondage? But when you live by his leadership, it leads to freedom in him and joy and peace. Amen. Well, some have found that and others are still finding that to be true. The third thing is that Jesus is audacious because Jesus is commanding his followers to announce the message everywhere. Hey, that means that you have to go into places where sometimes they don't want to hear it. And sometimes they'll hold at bay the message that's there. Steve was telling us when we were in Peru about um, a tribe in Brazil, the Brazilian government is protecting. They don't want any missionaries going in there because they want to preserve that culture. There, And I know I, in the name of Christ, there have been terrible things that have been done. Okay, I know that. But in doing so, in restricting missionaries from going in, they're keeping people from the true knowledge of God. How sad is that? Authority here means that Jesus has the right to do this. And, and you might not like how I'm talking about Jesus here. Some people prefer Jesus not to make any demands at all. But this is the gospel. This is what the gospel is about, is that he is the true king and that every knee will bow to him. Okay? Uh, in the book of Revelation, he's called the Almighty. They don't often use this phrase of Jesus, but in, in Revelation, they call him Almighty. And the Greek word is pantocrator, and it means, it means all the all ruler. Jesus is that, and he's must bow. The authority of Christ is twofold. Do you know that? That for all, because he is. Beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. And there was nothing that was made for us to swallow in English. But what that means is Jesus was there partaking with the So do you know that by virtue of him being our creator, we owe to that is not only that but he's he's doubled down on his authority he redeemed us when we fell away he's the redeemer to satan and restored our right to become children of god paul says in first corinthians he says you're not your in the fact that in jesus he now has And we should respond to that. We're a little shy about evangelizing. Sensitivities like. Have any right to tell anybody what to do. But we do have by the authority. And the responsibility. To him. And then if we refuse to do that, peril, but we will have a worse life and a worse life. He's a, benef- he's a benevolent king. 
in Scripture. Some some believe of our disobedience and at least hints of it in Scripture. Colossians had a legal claim to us because. And killing someone as his right to that claim. And he didn't deserve, uh, was lured into a trap, and he. That's the argument of some, especially in the. All that there is in atonement, certainly God. But Jesus was the banished king. The devil and he's uh, by his crucifixion. Asked him, no king is more loving than he. He'll rule forever and ever. That's the scripture for to repent of their sinful ways by some of the intelligentsia of the city share his new ideas because the Bible says there ideas being shared and so and he preached on the resurrection God placed different people in different areas. The, the brightest minds of Athens repent of their sins and to turn. It says that some of them accepted and heard him. But he preached the message straight and he didn't care. There, Paul was not ashamed of the God. So, I don't know how you feel when you get into important city. I feel really small. Like I get in the middle of it, and I'm like, "What am I among?" I wonder what I could do. You know, Lima. Anchorage, but I remember what God said. And probably Corinth Empire at the time, 150,000 people. That was ancient standards. And so Paul's in the middle of this. What's going on? And it could be. Uh, one night had a vision and God said, be afraid, keep on speaking because I have many people in this city of Apollo or Aphrodite anymore. And today, do you know that Easter is bigger than Christmas. 
something has changed there. And they call Sunday, and it means Lord's. Lord, Lord's Day. Place because somebody pre is kind of interesting to, to find that no matter and when we went to some of the other the big city Lima Lima's eleven million people our churches and we went to church in. Our world, and it continues to reach out and by that I was telling uh, written back in the early two thousands by Philip Jenkins and Philip Jenkins is a sociologist university. It's either Penn State or Penn, and. That the global weight of southern hemisphere from the western hemisphere to the east. Are you with me? We're like those who want like wildfire, and I was trying to encourage. Look, God is doing something in your midst. Alive and at work, and there are people being. There's authority to do the work of a. His mandate. I've got to go quicker, but mandate is an authoritative. That's representative of him. So his authority to do the work. Before the Iron Curtain fell, some of you. But uh, there used to be a time where uh, sometimes to some of these. to a guy, and the guy said, what are you doing here? And he says, well, and he said, well, on what authority? Uh, under the authority of Jesus. Did he have it was another Eastern Bloc country there. But he had authority all the way from the top, and so do you and I. 19 and 20, it says, it's pointing us back to what was already said. Is that all authority on heaven and earth has been given to Jesus. It's saying, in light of the fact that all authority follows from that, that's very important. Therefore, shows us the, the connection of the Great Commission to the authority of Christ. He has authority over all of the earth and everyone in it. Okay, he is the, the 
final authority on all things. That doesn't mean that everything goes God's way. You understand the difference, right? But he does have authority, and that authority will be seen for what it is one day. And he has authority to mandate the mission to people. In other words, he can tell us, go into this particular region. And even if those uh, the Brazilian government says, you can't go near this tribe, we want to preserve their culture, we don't want it to be ruined by the preaching of Jesus. Uh, if you have authority, if you're on mandate from God to go, you have to go. And you have to ignore that governmental denial and go and preach the gospel there because that authority, his authority is higher than the authority of any government, any government ever. That's why Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego can look at the king and say, can't do it. Can't bow down because I have, we have a higher authority than you. He didn't like that very much if, if you've read the story. So the way this breaks down in English is that it looks like four commands, um, but there's really only one verb here. Did you know that? That everything else supports that. And here's the verb, make disciples. That's the verb. One verb that expresses that. Everything else are participles that support the main verb. So if you don't know what that means, it's fine as we come to it. You'll probably see, and I, I know I've preached this, there's four different things. There's one thing, there's three ways it's accomplished. Three parts to accomplishing this, okay? And so the other three tell us something about what this looks like. But the command is make disciples. The command's not directly go, although there's a command portion to that. But the command is make disciples. Make disciples. And it actually could read as you go, make disciples. So this is, this is challenging us that we not stay sedentary in our walk with God, that, that wherever we're at, we're making disciples. Okay. And that may mean that we travel to South America. It might mean that we, we go to, to Africa. It might mean that um, we're doing missions in Alaska. It may mean that we're reaching out to our neighbor across the street. And it might mean, and it does mean that you're making disciples in your own home. Okay. So the command is make disciples and as you go, so there's a going aspect to this, is that if we're going to reach the world, we can't do that at home. Well, you, you can in some ways. But, but you understand what I mean, is that there has to be some way of reaching out beyond where we are. And the second thing that he mentions here is not just going, but it's baptizing. And baptizing has to do, uh, it's shorthand for evangelizing, bringing people to a place of commitment and covenant with God. How do you do that? You you share the gospel with people and you invite them. Would you like to know Jesus? Would you, would you like to turn away from that old life and turn your life over to him? Some, I heard somebody that one of their key evangelistic statements is, how's that working for you? How's that working for you? So I hear you've got some trouble and you're doing it your way. How's that working for you? Not so well. Well, can I tell you about a better way? And then you invite people to come to know Christ, that his way is better. I'm not suggesting to you that we all go by the book, your best life now, and that everything's going to just be hunky-dory, but I'm saying that the life God has for you is better, more purposeful, more fulfilling than the life you have for yourself. It's better than the American dream. The American dream's turned to the American nightmare, hasn't it? Sorry if that's cliche. I know I've heard that somewhere, but it has in some ways 
Because we're not supposed to live for that. We're supposed to live for Jesus. That's what he's called us to. So when, when he says baptizing, we're bringing people to a place of commitment to Christ. Turning away from the old life, turning to God, and being baptized symbolically as the real change has taken place in the heart. Okay, And then this part, this third part is if we're making disciples, we've got to, we've got to in some way go. We've got to baptize, bring them to a place of commitment. And then we've got to take it beyond that, teach them to observe. This is discipleship. Do you know, in this passage, it doesn't say go and evangelize the world. It says go make disciples. Not decisions, disciples. Disciples are people that you're bringing to a place of following Christ to maturity in him. It's not good enough to say, well, we got this many people to raise their hand. That's great, but I've become a little leery on stats like that because not everyone who raises their hand becomes a disciple. I want to know, are you willing to follow God? Are you willing to follow him through tough times and easy times? Are you willing to live with the church? Come on. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You got to live with the church. It's the family. It's the family. Do you, you know what I found out? Every family, I thought my family was perfect, and then I grew up. Every family has a little bit of dysfunction in it. And if you don't believe it, look at the patriarchs. Oh, my goodness. They could write a book. A book was written about them. They didn't need to. But uh, teaching to observe everything we've commanded. Now we're calling people to not just be decision makers, but disciples, where we go from one degree of maturity to the next. So the Great Commission is not about the decisions, about making disciples. I've got to hurry. Jesus is the complete authority, has the right to expect people to change and obey him. After all, his authority is coupled with care, isn't it? I I was thinking um, about this on the way over here, about how the invitation that God gives is gracious. Like he didn't have to give that invitation. But it can both be gracious and authoritative. Remember how Jesus said that there were all these people invited to a dinner and they didn't come. They refused the invitation. They made excuses. I gotta I'm getting married. I gotta go buy a cow. I gotta look at the cow. I'm buying land. I need to look at the land. Can't come. Can't come to the dinner. And the household owner is like, well, that's the way they're going to be. Then go out into the highways and by the byways, compel them to come in, get them to come in. Somehow convince them to come in. They need to come in for their own well-being. They need to be a part of this banquet. Okay, and and he's inviting in a gracious way, but there's an authoritative uh, aspect to it too. Is that it's? Do you know the call to be a disciple is a call to come and die? Do you know that? That's for another time. But this is a great commission. It's not about making decisions only. It's about making discipleship, disciples. Uh, now, the thing that he commands makes a better person and ultimately a better world. I think we would feel more comfortable with this if this command was just for the apostles. Like, look, Jesus said to the apostles, you go and make disciples of all nations. And I'm with you always to the end of the age. But there's two reasons this can't be only for the disciples. Okay, are you ready? Number one, this can't be for just the, just for the apostles. This, 
This has to be for more than the apostles. Number one, because these, these disciples can't reach all nations before the end of their life. Right? Many of them died early, martyr deaths. And so they're never going to make it to South America. They're never going to make it to the new world. Although it turns out to be an old world, doesn't it? They're never going to make that because their lives are going to end before that time comes. So this command can't just be for the 11 that remain, Matthias or Paul or whoever you want to put in that 12th spot. Uh, It has to be for more than them. And the second reason is because the promise of Jesus is to be with you to the end of the age. And we haven't even reached the end of the age. Come on. You know, I know you, we may be knocking at the door, but you understand that that hadn't come by the time the disciples were all gone. So this command, this mandate that we're talking about has to be for more than just the apostles. Both geographical distance and the passing of time won't excuse us from carrying out the mandate to make disciples. It's a mission call. It's a mission life. And I think if we're going to run with Jesus, we're going to find that we need to, we need to find his heart and we need to walk with him in the same way. Um, <laughs> forgive me for this, but when we were in um, Peru in 2019, maybe it was Nicaragua, one of the rules that they had for the mission organization that we were with was no purpling. Did any of you remember that? No purpling. So boys are blue and girls are red and purpling is when they're together in places they shouldn't be. You know what I'm talking about? Okay. Because there's an overlap because when you put blue and red together, they make purple. Okay. So I imagine this and so I'm borrowing from that, but I imagine this, that if our life is one color and Jesus is another, that our lives, sometimes people just want to kind of intersect every once in a while with Jesus. But what he wants us to do is he wants us to come and get in line with him. Walk with him and be different, be changed, share his heart, find intimacy with him, which I'll talk about in just a second. Um, you know, not everybody has to go far away to be a missionary. This uh, third part is the promise. Okay, so we have the authority of Jesus, we have the mandate of Jesus, and we have the promise of Jesus. So you can see how that spells AMP with those first letters. Matthew twenty-eight twenty, uh, the second part says, and surely... I'm with you always to the very end of the age. This is Christ's promise to be present with us uh, as we share his mission. Okay, So as he's calling these disciples. This is part of the context here. You know, Jesus could say and has said in other places, I'm with you and I'm, I'm going to be with you and the Holy Spirit will be with you and in you. But this seems directly tied to the missionary call. Okay, this Christ promised that as you go out doing his work, he's going to be with you in it. Okay, the promise. And so um, in the mandate, he's saying, I'm with you. You will find deeper intimacy with Christ as you follow his mandate. Because you'll find that you're sharing his passion. Do you know what Jesus is passionate about? He, he's, yeah, he made all the beautiful scenery. And I'm sure he loves that. In the animal kingdom, nice. Really nice. Okay. But what does he love? What's his heart? People. Okay. You want to get where the heart of Jesus is? People. It's not beautiful buildings. Thank God for beautiful churches. We saw some beautiful churches in Lima. 
We built some beautiful churches in their own way in the jungle. But what God's really passionate about is people. He loves people. And if you want to get where his heart is, you need to reach out to people. You need to learn to be a people person. And I'm telling you this, it's not naturally in my nature to be a people person. And I realize that's a flaw in me that needs to be adjusted. Because Jesus is a people person. He loves people. He reaches out to people. His concern is for people. He died for people. He rose for people. He leads people. He fills people. He baptizes people. That's what he does. He redeems the lives of broken people so they might be renewed in him. So this is the promise. You will find a deeper intimacy with Christ by sharing his heart for people. Please don't mistake what I'm saying. I'm not saying that fellowship is dependent upon performance. I'm saying that there is an intimacy that comes in shared work. Can you relate to that? When we care about what Christ cares about, we become of one heart with him, and there's deeper intimacy in the work. I know with those that went on this trip, there's a a bondedness that has happened on every mission trip I've been on because we've gone and we've worked together and we've we've done the work of God in that. But how much more... Is that true when we work Jesus' work? He's with us always. Okay? He cares about people. Christ is mission-minded, and I think Scripture shows that he cares more about people even than how comfortable we are. Will you hear me in this? Because sometimes when we say, let's go on a mission trip, we, I just don't know if I can handle it. Okay? I understand. Sometimes our health is in the way. I got to a place on this trip where I had to lay down. I was not in good shape. But there's going to be bugs. There's going to be sweat. There's not going to be showers. Not going to be comfortable beds. Can we still do it? Are we so tied to our comforts? Jesus cares more about people. Otherwise, why would he send his disciples out among wolves to win the lost? Or is that outdated thinking? I think he cares less about our dream home and our retirement and our sports than he does about the lost person. True? He says, I'm with you. I'm with you is never just I'm there. When he says, when God says I'm with you in the Old Testament, it's never like I'll be there if you need me. He's with you means something else. It's so much more. It means he'll be with you with authority. You will be made to feel at times that you shouldn't evangelize. Listen, here's a really interesting thing I found out over the years, and probably you already knew this, but did you know that our consciences can so be trained by culture that we can do the right thing and feel bad about it? Anybody else experience that? You've done the right thing and you're made to feel guilty? Because our consciences are still affected by the fall, and it's affected by our environment. There is an interesting book by Don Richardson called Peace Child. I don't, some of you read that. Anybody read that? Peace Child? Okay, He talks about going to Netherlands, New Guinea in the 60s when they were still vicious tribes of headhunters there. And uh, he said that they, pri- they prized viciousness. They called um, the approach that they took, because they would... They would pounce on their victims, neighboring tribes, and they would kill them and they would eat them. And they, they had this practice called fattening with friendship where they would invite people over, they would feed them, they would act like they're really good friends, and at just the right moment, 
they would turn on them and kill them. And it was a feature within their culture to be vicious. And people, if they were too soft, they were made to feel bad about it. That's contrary to the gospel. It's contrary to good goodness, isn't it? And yet we can so train ourselves that our consciences become warped and insensitive to the truth. And so when it comes to Jesus saying, I'm with you, there's authority to do these things, to reach out to people, even if they are like, what business do you have in my affairs? You're doing it out of love. You're sharing the gospel with them. They don't want to hear it. And we have to respect that. But if you're made to feel guilty, because who are you to say Christianity is better than any other way of life? That's a lie. It's a lie from the devil. And the culture has swallowed that. You do you, I'll do me. Live and let live. That's the cultural mantra. But we can't believe the gospel and believe that at the same time. They don't go together. Right? So there's this call, this promise. He says, I'm with you with authority to do what you need to do. All authority has been given unto me, and I'm giving authority to you to be my emissaries. Go out, make disciples, teach them to obey everything I've commanded. He is with us with power. In the Old Testament, you'll often see this. When God says, I'm with you, he's going to do something powerful in the next few chapters. Just wait. When he says, I'm with you, his power is with you. Okay, that's exciting to me because um, when I'm witnessing or when I'm talking to people, sometimes I'm so awkward, I can't think of the next thing to say. But you might have experienced this where when God is working in you, that you know what to say because he leads and guides your thoughts and helps your words. That happens to me in preaching sometimes. There's an awkwardness about myself, but I realize that God can do something incredible with his power to communicate, to heal the sick, whatever it may be, provide for a need. You'll not be able to do this, but Christ in you can. And then when he says, I'm with you, he's, he's with you in encouragement. I know I'm out of time here. You'll need to be encouraged from time to time as you do this work. I'd like you to notice that Christ promises presence with the church until the end of the age. And we can expect this very same thing that he promised when he first said it to his disciples. I want to tell you, just in closing, about Ramundo. Let's go to the next slide, if you would, Dean, the picture. Uh, Ramundo was somebody that I met in 2005, and um, we saw him again in 2019 when we went to One Nation One Day in Peru. And um, he really embodies this whole thing. I've really come to respect him. I know he's not perfect, but uh, I've come to really respect him. Um, he's been evangelizing in Peru for a long time. Ramundo's the one standing next to Kiki there in the picture. Um, in fact, when we were there in 2019, he was with us on our team. He and his family have this home in Iquito, so that he's always feeling God's leading him to go to other places, the border of Colombia, different rivers within the Amazon river system. Um, and recently, he, he told us when we were there, he said that um, he and his family have this home in Iquitos, and they came home after the mission that they had been on, and he believed the Lord wanted him to go to Uramaguas. Okay, So he told his wife, Marina, I think we're supposed to go to Uramaguas. And she said, um, does that mean we have to move again? And he said, I think so. And she said, okay. So they still have their home in, in Iquitos, which is a bigger city. But they live in Yermaguas, which is a smaller city where there's lots more bugs. OK, 
Okay, so they moved to do a Bible school thing there. And uh, they even left the comfort of their home and I think teenage children to go to school at a boarding school so they could do the mission of God. Okay. When we got to Peru, we traveled to Uramaguas and Raimundo met us at the hotel. And uh, we knew why we were there. We're there to build churches. Okay. We want to build churches and equip, help equip jungle pastors with what they need in order to have a congregation and help a congregation grow and make disciples. And so he's talking about the plans for the churches that we are to build. And suddenly he said in a very matter of fact way, he just said it. And I, I think Carlos our one of our translators interpreted for us. He said, for two years, we've taken, sorry, I thought I'd be past this by now. He said, we've taken the gospel to the jungle. He wasn't crying. He just said it like, for two years, we've taken the gospel to the jungle. For two years, we've taken the gospel. He said it once, but it echoed in my heart. I was struck. This lump came up in my throat. I, su- su- I suppressed a sob. I did better then than I'm doing right now. <laughs> but um, he said, we've taken the gospel to the jungle, and now we need to build churches. Hit me. I've been I've been seeing that we've been preparing to go to Peru for a long time and talking about all the bugs and the heat and everything. And so I've been seeing the jungle as this threatening place with bugs and heat and humidity. An obstacle to really doing the work of God. He saw it as an opportunity. I don't know. Lightning hit my heart. He spoke of the jungle like Jesus spoke of the fields. Remember how Jesus Jesus grew up right on the edge of the Jezreel Valley, and he, he said, look at the fields. They're white. They're ready for harvest. If anybody knew what that was like, Jesus knew. He wasn't a farmer, but he was around agriculture. He knew that's what that's like. And Ramundo saw the jungle almost like a tree that had fruit on it. I saw... I saw a thick, dark canopy of trees, and he sees villages and people. For him, it's the work of God that he's called to, and he'll stop at nothing. I can't remember. He told me, it seems like when we were there in 2019, he said he had malaria nine times, something like that, something crazy. And I don't know if you know, but that's not like a common cold. (laughs) I'll knock you out. You may want to die. We've taken the gospel of the jungle. I was hit with a moment of clarity. Now they need churches to make disciples. Go to the next uh, slide, Dean. One more. Okay, this is our final church that we built. You can't tell exactly from this picture, but every direction around that church, there's a clearing. Every direction around that church is thick foliage like you've never seen. Well, if you grew up in the Philippines, you might have seen something like that. 
This is, I mean, it's thick, dense jungle. We're there building a church. Somebody reached out. This this Shawi village. Somebody reached out and won souls there. And I'll tell you, when we came to this church, they were standing on the beach waiting for us. I wonder if we have it in our heart. We're going to take the gospel to the tundra. If we have it in our heart, we're going to take the gospel to our city, to our homes. Look, discipleship of your children is the most important task you have if you're a parent. So bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. So what does this look like? And I, I got to quit, but number one is we need to talk to people about Jesus. Okay, That's that's following the Great Commission. Did you know that? Talk, Just talking. I'm not saying when you have to evangelize, you have to get behind a pulpit and shout and pound a Bible. Most of what Paul did, do you know what Paul did? He reasoned with them in the synagogue and in the marketplace. Reason, dialogue. He talked. And they had objections, and he answered those from Scripture. And he reasoned with them at the high point of the Oropagus, Mars Hill, and he talked in the synagogues, and he talked on street corners, and he shared the gospel. And you can do the same thing. You have friends that you have a circle of influence with. Share the gospel. Second is teaching the Bible. If you're a Bible teacher, if you're teaching your kids at the devotion time at your home, if you're uh, teaching a kid's class or you teach here on Wednesday night or preach on Sunday, that's fulfilling the Great Commission because you're teaching them to observe everything the Lord has commanded. And then third training your kids, as I've said. You're not making adults, you're making disciples. And fourth, taking part in the fellowship that's edifying. This is all part of this. Because when we edify one another, when we come together and we exercise our gifts, it builds the body of Christ and it makes disciples. And this is a great time to say, if you haven't signed up for 242, you should. Amen. Stand with me. Thanks for your patience. I said I would be short. I might have underestimated or... Yeah, underestimated how short my sermon was. Amen. God's called us to have a heart like his that reaches out. He's got authority to do this. He's given us authority to do it. He's given us the great commission. He said he'll be with us. What do we say to the Lord? Lord, what is my mission field? What are you calling me to? Too often in American culture, we become consumers of everything, including religion. Like we come to church and say, okay, give me something to eat. Share the scripture with me. And uh, we forget that what we're really called to do is not just be consumers, but to be vessels that the, the goodness of God flows through. We receive teaching and we pass it along. We, we hear what God is saying and we communicate that to others. It's his call for us. I want to have a heart like Ramunda has a heart. Many of you have a heart for evangelism. I want God to do something in me so that it burns deep in me and it causes me to to not stand still, but to bring people into relationship with the king, to welcome them to the kingdom that they might not, no longer be rebels, but children. Lord, help us, we pray. Here's a, 
call to response. We're going to sing a song in just a moment. If you'd like to come to an altar and just say, Lord, use me in the Great Commission, however you would have me to. Not everybody has the same personality. Not everybody's going to stand on a picnic bench in a park and shout to the crowds. You might have a quiet personality, and God's going to use you to quietly share with a friend in your circle of influence. But however it is, would you say, God, use me in your mandate? Amen. All right, these altars are open. If you'd like to come for a moment, you can if you feel. And all to thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender Amen. Let me say thank you to all of those who shared while we were gone. Um, really appreciate it. And I know that they kept you shorter, so I thought I would make up for that today. No, um, I pray for the Peruvian church and especially the churches in the jungle. They, There's still shamanism that takes place around there and lots of superstition and those pastors need all the prayer support you can give. So if you pray for them, I know that would make a big difference. Thank you, Lord, for the way that you want to work in us and use us. And you've caused us to be salt and light in our world. And I pray, Lord, that we, uh, we would take... Um, the opportunities that you give us within the circle of influence starting there and outward that we might help bring disciples to a place of maturity in you. Help us, we pray in your name. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for being here today. Remember 242 tonight. God bless you. Thank you for joining us today. If this ministry has impacted you, we would love to hear about it. You're welcome to message us at akmaranatha.com forward slash contact or message us on Facebook at Maranatha Full Gospel Fellowship. We pray you are blessed by the message and have a wonderful week.